Good morning. Before I start, let me just open up and with a word of prayer. God, this morning, um, <clears throat> it's not about me. In a sense, it's not really about the work or anything. It's really about you. And um, this week, may it be all about you. May we become smaller, may you become greater. And um, so God, as, as I share this morning, if the words don't come out perfectly fine, as long as you're glorified, that's the most important thing. So God, may the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be something good and pleasing to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As Sharon shared, we have been overseas um, with Kama for um, quite a few years now, since 2007 we left. And, aha, there we go. Um, very good, I'll look back here. So I just wanna introduce you to my family. Some of you guys may not know us. Um, and I'll just quickly give you a, a quick synopsis of who we are. Um, if you look at me, you can look at um, me and you can describe me as a guy that loves soccer. All right, that's really simple. Look at Gina, she loves teaching and she loves photography. Um, I always say if we have to evacuate, there's two things I have to leave with. One is all the external hard drives of all of her pictures. Everything else we can leave behind and there's one more thing and that'll be my boys. Um, my boys, Michael, Daniel, Jeremiah, and Elijah, and you don't have to remember all those names, um, soccer and Lego, and anything Star Wars related as well. Um, so if you see them, they're coming to the next service. If you see them throughout the week, you can start a conversation, any of those topics, and we're good to go. So if we have to evacuate hard drives, Legos, we're good to go. That's all we care about. But um, this morning, and actually this week, I wanna talk to you guys really quickly about these four things. Um, these four things, these four pictures, icons, whatever you wanna call them, um, basically represent the four um, structures, four specializations of Alliance missions these days. Um, we've been going through some restructuring in a sense and bring everybody kind of under one umbrella. And this is, these are the four different structures and I'll quickly go through them. Comma services on the left, we like snowball fights. Yes, we do. Um, no. We work with um, basically relief and development type stuff, and you're gonna be hearing what we do this week from me, so I'm not gonna get too much into that. Um, the second one is, looks like Bridges. It's called Marketplace Ministries. It's for those people that, it's kind of like business's mission. That's basically the simplest way to describe that. People use their jobs as a, a form of missions. So you can be a doctor, you can be a linguist, you can be a photographer, you can be whatever you almost th think of and you often use your job as a way of going into the country and living out your life and rubbing shoulders with people. Third one is called Axis. That's kind of the big one. That's the classic CMA missionary that we've always known, focused on church planting um, and leadership development and such. And that looks very different across the whole world. And you'll hear from um, Dale and Matt throughout this week from that as well. Last one, Envision. Um, that one you guys are pretty familiar with because you guys have the Atlanta site really close by that you guys uh, take part in. Um, but there's also overseas sites and that allows people to have an experience of what missions is like to get a real touch and feel of that. And hopefully maybe that can carry on to full-time ministry as well. Um, so those are the kind of the four structures we're gonna be talking about this week. And uh, so my challenge to you this week is this. Which one can you be part of? As the video said, how can we lean in more? How can you lean in more into these? Which one could you go out with? Which one could you dive into more? Which one could you pray for more? 
And so wherever you are, leaning in means motion, right? Means actually going forward. And so I challenge, my challenge to you this week is listen to what, what, what people share about and say, which one? Which one can I be part of more? Okay, that's my challenge for you guys this week. A couple more challenges coming up. Um, <clears throat> before I forget, can I have a chair right here? I know it's an odd uh, question, but just a, just a stool or a chair is fine. Um, and I'll just keep going. Um, I want to sh- read just a few passages before we continue. I want to start with Acts, beginning of Acts 1 through 3. And you can just listen, you don't have to look it up. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with the Herod Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So Saul and Barnabas are ready to go. God has called them to go. And the church lays hands on them and sends them off. 2007, council, that's what happened to us. And it was an awesome time, an awesome time to be, to be sent. In a sense, for me and Gina, to be sent home, in a sense, to go and work with the people in Senegal. Well, actually, North Africa first. But then let's look at the end of Acts 14. End of Acts 14, it says, From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Awesome, thank you. And so they go on this missionary journey. They come back, and what do they do? They report on everything that God had done, okay? And so we've been going overseas. This is the first time for a year that we're back. We're never here for that long. And this year, we get to go to all these churches, and we get to share about what God has done. And that is what I'm going to do this morning. One last verse from Psalm 9, 1 and 2. It says, I will praise you. Let me back it up. I will praise you. You, O Lord, with all my heart, I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and rejoice in you, and I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. This is all about him. This whole week is all about him. This is all about what he's doing and all the things that he's doing in people's hearts and in, uh, in us and in you. Okay, so let's, let's make sure to remember to keep that as our focus, bring him glory in everything that we do. So this morning, I'm going to hopefully very quickly share with you about five people. Five people that are dear to my heart and five people that actually represent the very tip of the iceberg of all the other people that we work with. And I'm going to invite you to challenge you to pray for these people. And, um, and it's, I'm going to have to go quickly, so it's going to be very brief for each of them but they're all unfinished stories. And so that's where you come in big time on this one. But we still, let, me, let me start out by saying um, this. We, um, we live in Senegal. This is where we work all the way. Whoops, the clicker's fast. Clicker's very fast. Clicker's extremely fast. All right, here we go. Left, all the way on the farthest western point. We're the closest. Whenever there's a big rain that comes through, we know it's going to be a hurricane for you guys. And so uh, we can pretty much count down the time when it hits you guys. But we love Senegal. We love the north. This is where I mainly work. I love the north. It's kind of desert. It's the start of the Sahara Desert. And uh, you'll see the challenge that brings that, that comes along with that. But I love, I love the north. 
The South, actually, I have never been to the South. This is what the South looks like. This is probably where the most of you would like to live. Um, it's nice and lush. It's green. It rains a whole lot more there than it does up north. But we love Senegal. We love the people of Senegal. The people of Senegal are, are some of the most um, hospitable people that we know. The word taranga is a, is a Wolof word that means hospitality, and that defines them. Anytime you walk into their courtyard and you, you, and you come and share with them or you want to be with them, they're ready to drop anything that, they, that they're doing just to be with you. And, of course, we love the food. Amazing food. Love it. I miss it, and I can't wait to go back to eat some more of it. But the thing is this. Over our 10 years there, we've realized the Senegalese lack two things. First, they lack peace. Secondly, they lack hope. You see, as, 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 a, as, as not, the country is 95% Muslim, um, a Muslim struggles with peace. The ironic thing is this, is let's say, for example, I visit and I go to pastor. And I visit pastor and I go, good morning, pastor. I say, how you doing? He says, I'm here. Okay. I go, how's your family? He says, they're there. Okay, this is Wolof, all right. But then I say, how's your body? And he says, Jamarek. And I say, how's your job? Jamarek. Any question I ask him, Jamarek. And in Wolof, the word jam means peace, and rek means only. And what he's saying is, I am at peace with my body. My body's in good health. My job is going well. I'm at peace with that. And constantly this word peace comes up. And the thing is, is that a Muslim really doesn't have peace. 95% Muslim, like I said. And basically, you know, you've got your five pillars. You make your statement of faith as a young child, hopefully. You, 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 you go to the mosque. You go make your prayers. You fast a month, have a big feast at the end. And you give to the poor if you're able to. And if you can make it to Mecca, even more power to you. But in the end, there's always that, did my, did my good deeds and my bad deeds, did my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds? And they know that someday they're going to come before God. And the question is, is it going to be good enough? And if it's good enough, who knows, maybe he'll send me to paradise, otherwise he might send me to hell. But there's no true peace in a Muslim. And then hope. See, the thing is, is when things are good in life, when things are good, just hold on, please. Let's back that up. Did I, did I did that? Um, when it comes to, to hope, when it come, when it, whatever the situation is, if it's good, alhamdulillah, praise God. If things are bad, alhamdulillah, praise God. And the thing is, is for a, for a Senegalese Muslim, whatever situation God has placed them in, that's where they're at. And if it's a good situation, that's where I'm going to stay. If it's a bad situation, a poor situation, that's where I'm going to stay. And most people fall into this poor situation and they say, there's no, there's no way of getting out of it. This is where God has placed me and I will not be, I, I don't have a brighter future. And they say, God has placed me here and that's where he wants me to be. He wants me to experience this. And so there's no real hope. No hope, no peace. But what does that look like as we go as, 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 a, as a Senegalese? How, does that, how do they experience that? So let me give you an example of Amadou. Amadou is a good friend of mine. Um, I've known him for years. And when I first got there, Adam, Adam, Amadou's life was very simple. Amadou, every, every around 
November, December, he would take all the money he had and he'd go to the local garden store and he would buy, he would buy um, seed and fertilizer, chemical fertilizer. He'd spend all his money, take that back home, and then he would go and he would plant his little seeds of onions into his nursery. And get his friends involved, and, and we'd, all, we'd all help out. We'd have a can of about 100,000 uh, seeds, and we'd plant those meticulously into the, into, the, into the nursery. And then for the next three months, he would labor his field about the size of this auditorium. He'd labor on that, he'd work on that, break up the hard soil while he's watering his nursery for about a month and a half, two months. And then it's a good day because his nursery is, is, is ready to be transplanted. And so he and I and his friends, he invites us all in where he's gonna provide some tea to kind of motivate us. And, uh, and we take all those nurseries, certain nursery plants, and out of the 100,000 that were planted, only about 25 to 30,000 actually survive. And we do this by hand, one at a time, 25, 30,000 of these things by hand. And then, um, and then we water. And so he pulls the water by hand out of the well. And in the beginning, sometimes he'll cover his, 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 uh, his hands with a little bit of an inner tube just to protect him as he's building up those calluses. And we water from morning, early morning before the sun, sun uh, rises to about 11 o'clock and then it's just way too hot to water anymore. And so we sit down around, uh, under the trees and we discuss life. We discuss things, politics, religion, anything that we want to talk about. And this is one of my favorite times because I get to share stories about Jesus. I get to challenge these guys. I get to, to dream with them about what God actually wants for their lives. And, uh, and we do this for a long time together because the tea takes about an hour and a half or so to make and to drink and we have three rounds and it's awesome because it's full of sugar and gives us that energy to keep going for the rest of the day. And then ultimately, it's even a better day when it's harvest time. It's awesome because, because Amadou gets to get, call all his friends and all his siblings and everybody in the village comes and helps out. The women and children help out. We basically, the, 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 the process is you pull it out of the ground and stick a knife in the ground, push it against your, against your foot and you just run the onions with the leaves past it. Cut off, the, uh, cut off the leaves, throw the onions in a pile, bag them up and we'll take them to the paved road, which is a couple, couple miles down the road. And we take it there and we give it to a middleman who then takes all those onions. He has not grown, he has not watered. He takes those, buys them off the farmer for a very low price and the middleman goes and takes it to the big cities and makes a bunch more money off it. But Amadou takes the money and it's a good day, right? But wait, I forgot to tell you something. What, this whole process has taken about, f about five, six months. And remember he used up all his money What's he gonna live off? What has he lived off? Because his wife at home, if he has one or two or three or four wives, probably has kids as well. And his wife every time says, hey, um, can you help me? Because I need to provide for the family. There's, there's, there's meals that we have to provide. There's medical attention that the kids need. There are school supplies that we need to provide. Can you help me? And he has nothing to show for. So what does he do? He goes to all the other stores and says, hey, can I borrow? I'm gonna pay you when harvest time comes. Can I borrow? 
And he borrows from the stores, and he borrows from maybe someone that lives in Dakar, in, this, in the capital. And slowly he's got this debt that's built up, and remember it's a good day when he harvests, but he knows what's coming because he gets to sell his onions, and then he has to pay back all those debts. And he's got a little bit of money left, and he's been able to provide for his family through building up these debts, but then he's got very little left. And now we're talking about July, August, but he still has to make it to next November, December to get the seeds to grow again. And it's a tough, tough life. So what do you do? How do you help in that situation? You see, Amadou, he's a good Muslim too, and he's done all those things. He's been praying, he's been fasting, he's been going to the mosque, he's done everything, but inside, he still doesn't have that peace either. He doesn't have a hope of a brighter, brighter future because he's been doing the same thing over and over again and his grandpa has done the same thing. His father and grandfather have done the same thing over and over again. Stuck in the same situation. No hope. And so we said, okay, well, what can we do? See, the thing is, what we want to do is we want to help him out of his situation, right? But you see what I'm doing? What I'm going like this, what I'm actually saying is, is I'm better than you. I'm more wealthy than you. I am wiser than you. I have a God complex. And so what do we do? We say, okay, hey, 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 I understand. You're in a tough situation. And we put our arm around him and we walk with him. We do life with him. Because our goal is to see these men and women go from a surviving situation to where they're thriving physically, spiritually, socially, economically, in every possible way, we want to see their lives transformed and their communities restored to what God had wanted them, had, that God has in store for them. And so how do we do that? So one of the things we did was we said, okay, we gathered all the farmers together and we said, okay, how can we solve this problem? The chief as well, because, and, and we said, okay, any ideas? So we started throwing, throwing ideas out and trying to figure out with a good, come up with a good plan. Because the thing is, if I come up with my plan and it fails, whose fault is it? Mine. But if we do it together, there's ownership. And so we got them all, got them all together and we said, how can we make this happen? How can we make this work? Small field, small harvest, small income, right? So we said, well, let's a little away. If we can increase our field size, we can have an increased harvest and increased income. So we said, okay, how are we gonna do that? So we got a guys, local guys, that would um, drill boreholes. And I can get all the technical uh, parts about that later in a conversation with you if you want. But basically, we drill a borehole about this big down about 15, 20 yards into the ground. And if there's a well, we do it in the well, which is a lot easier. Then we get some basins and we make them out of cement and rebar. And we, put, we dig holes in the ground, create those, pull them out, put, place them strategically in the field so that we can water by hand properly. We connect them with PVC pipes. And then hopefully we'll switch, flip on the switch. We throw a Chinese pump in there, about, costs about $100. Chinese pump that works for about two to five years. And we turn on the, the power and this village has electricity and we get water, flowing water. What that does is we have an increased amount of water. We don't waste time and energy pulling water by hand. So now we can actually water a larger surface area. Originally, we had all these basins in the fields. And uh, what Amadou would then do is he would then water by hand. 
We've actually adapted it since then, and we're actually doing more of a, almost like a flood irrigation. Before you saw a lot of small squares, every square got a bucket full. Now we're, losing, we're using a lot more surface area by cutting out all the little walls in between the, the, throughout the plot. So it's a good day. We transplant and we water. Bigger field, all right? So Amadou's doing this, and Amadou then gets a massive harvest, right? His harvest is a whole lot bigger. Things are looking up. There's a glimpse of hope in Amadou's eyes now. He's going, I don't know if I have to stay in this situation. Yes, God has placed me there, alhamdulillah, but I think there's a brighter future for me. And so everybody gets involved. We have more bags, more bags of onions, and we're taking them to be all weighed out on the old school scale. But this picture right here is his pride and joy because I helped him get his first field going, okay? Guess what he did? He got that massive harvest, he sold his onions, had to pay off his first set of debts still, still had a bunch of money, he took that money and he said, I can do a second field. He has a second field. He actually, first he expanded his first field, hired in two guys, and I said, dude, what are you, in mind, I'm going, why are you hiring two guys? You're going to split the profit. But what I didn't realize at that moment was, one, he's got a bigger field now, more income. He's helping two other guys economically, bringing them hope. He's got two more guys he's bringing to me that I can share the gospel with. And then he says, okay, I can do another field. So he does a second field, bores, makes his own borehole, gets his own pump, wiring everything. He fills up his second field, hires more people. This is his third field. Amadou is flying right now. He is just, he's going, I love it. But, but does he have the true hope? Kind of, not really yet. Does he have the true peace? No, not yet. He's heard my stories, he knows what I'm about. He knows, he's heard about Jesus all the time. But has he accepted that gift yet? Not yet. So my challenge to you this morning is would you pray for Amadou? Got four more people, real quick. My time's running out already. Second, next, next person. I'll quickly go through some pictures. I drink a lot of tea with the guys. We're trying to diversify in different uh, grocery or different um, vegetables. And now I want to talk to you about Abdullahi. Abdullahi is a guy who, who loves to talk. Absolutely loves talking and, and doesn't stop. And I hadn't seen him for a long time. I had I'd gotten, I'd befriended him. I hadn't seen him a long time. And I, I was like, where is Abdullahi? And suddenly, as I'm walking between fields, he calls my name out, name out and I'm like, what? Abdullah's back. So I went and talked with him for a while. There was some political unrest going on in Dakar, and even for me to get home that time from the village was a bit of a touchy situation, touch and go situation, but I was there and I said, Abdullah, what's going on? People were ransacking things in, in the capital, and things were not going well. And I said, Abdullah, what what's, what's the reason behind that? And he said, ah, it's just the French, it's the political thing. And I said, no, 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 there's something deeper. We came to the point where I said, Abdullah, it's bakar, bakar, it's sin. And I said, it started in Adam and Eve. I said, what happened between us? I said, let's say Adam and Eve are here. And we are here. What happened? He goes, uh, he starts trying to come up with stuff. And ultimately, we come up with Abraham. And I said, Abraham, oh yes, Abraham, yes, he was good. He was, he was a prophet and, 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 and he had to do something. He had to sacrifice his own son. 
And they remember that. They have a massive feast for that. But I said, Abdullah, there's something in there about what's coming up. And he's like, yeah. I said, what, what was the true meaning? He goes, no, it's about testing Abraham's faith. I said, no, no, there's an even deeper meaning. I said, if Abraham is here and we are over here, what happened here? And he couldn't come up with anything. And I said, it's Jesus. Jesus came. That was all about Jesus coming. And the moment I said Jesus, Abdullah goes, I love Jesus. I said, what? I know Muslims love Jesus because he's a good teacher, he's a good prophet. They believe in him. But I've never seen anybody say, I love Jesus. And so I started to ask him about why do you love Jesus? And he kind of gave me some answers. But for the next hour or so, I got to share what happened in those times in history and what Jesus had done for him. And the gears started turning. A couple weeks later, I was there again. And we had another conversation all about this. And you're starting to see gears moving again in its head. Did he make a decision yet? Not yet. I can't wait to go back to see Abdullah and keep talking about Jesus. And so this morning, will you pray for Abdullah? In the village, we mainly work in two areas, in the village and in the slums. I'll get to the slums in a second. In the village, here are a couple more pictures. Um, here, Abdullah is, is showing me all the things he's made or done. I love dreaming with my guys. I love dreaming about what God might have for them. I love visiting. We, we installed some drip irrigation, testing some of that. Um, this is a leader in the, in, in the village. I love talking. He's got big dreams for the village, but this is probably one of my favorite pictures. We're looking outside the village. Before, everything was about growing stuff kind of around the village and a little bit in the village. Now we're looking at property that the village owns outside the village, areas that never cultivated, and they're going, we can do it. Ten years ago when I got there, there was no thought of this. Now they're going, there's a brighter future for us. God has bigger things for us. How can we make it happen? It's an awesome change in their mentality, in their belief. I want to tell you about Aminata. Aminata, I've known her for many years, and she loves children. She's got grandkids, and what she's done is she's got a little uh, preschool going. And uh, how many of you guys have kids, kids, first of all? Okay, how many have grandkids? Okay, I bet you love those kids, right? Well, Aminata loves her kids and grandkids. And she used to, she's, she's the wife of the former chief, and when the former chief passed away, all of her, in a sense, income was gone. And her and nine other men, women came to me and said, Sebi, you're working with all these men. Can you help us? I said, okay, I can do that. And so, uh, and so we, we found a, a field of just for women. And we set up this field. It took us a long time to set it up just because COVID came through. And, uh, and we got these women together. The day I left, the late, last day I visited the village was one of my favorite days. Because we turned on the pump and the women had their own field to start growing stuff. Because they wanted to grow stuff so that they can take better care of their families. Their husbands are struggling in their fields a little bit still, of course. And they said, I want to help. I want a better um, schooling for my kids. I want to take care, better care of my kids' health. I want to be able to cover my kids in a better way. And so they started their own farm. You should have seen the smiles. These are the buckets they use. You should have seen the smiles and the laughter and the jokes as they were just like, we can have a better future for our kids. I loved it. So there's 10, 10 women in this. Um, I, I can't wait to get back to start dreaming with them and talking about what God would want for them. And, um, 
And the thing is, is my, ten, my time here for this year is to be able to raise enough funds to get another 10 farms going. I'm pretty much almost already there. And what the cool thing is, is when I get to go back, every farm's gonna have 10 women, not just in this village, but in surrounding villages. That's 100 women. That's 100 families, if they only have, if, you can figure out the math, because some have more wives than one, but 100 families, possibly, that I can inv invest in, and kids, and so I can't wait to get back. In a sense, it's killing me to be here. But I gotta let you guys know what's going on. All right, I got very little time left. Last part, two more people I wanna share with you about. We also work in the slums. How we got there, you'll have to ask me later. But we love poor people. God has called me and my family and our team to only work with poor people. We love the poor of the poor. God loves the poor of the poor. And so when we go into this place, it's pretty rough. It's a place that's right on the beach. It's surrounded by, by factories. They've been moved and kicked out of their place about three times uh, since they, they, they started their community. And uh, they were almost kicked out again right before I left. But this is where they live. Rough, very rough situation. And um, if you live in this kind of a slum, if you're a man, you might go fishing. If, you can if you've got a boat, you can go fishing you just barely make enough money because the waters are overfished. Or you're a mechanic, you're, you're an apprentice somewhere, you're trying to make it work, and you're barely just scraping by enough, enough money. These people don't own this land, so they can get kicked out any time. Um, but if you're a woman, you generally have two options. Either you go beg on the streets, and a lot of times you'll take your little kids, little, little kids with you, or you do this. You buy some fish from a local fisherman that has a, has a net that can catch these little sardines. You lay your fish onto the beach, onto the sand. You cover it with uh, sawdust or cardboard or wood. Then you light it on fire and you cook your fish that way. You scrape the fish off the sand and put it on these tables. Then for the next, I don't know how many days after it's dried, you will take a little knife, you will take all the scales and, and, and scrape them off, cut open the fish, throw, throw, the, throw the, their bones in, the, in the, with the scales, and you've got your meat left over. Do this for hours and hours on end if you're a woman. And then you sell it and hopefully get a little money to, to support your family. And so here are a couple more pictures of what the place looks like. Rough, tough situation. But there's a chief that lives there. And so we've been looking at how do we help out in this situation. I'll get to that in a second. But the chief, I love this guy. This guy's awesome. He's an avid fisherman. I love fishing. He says he knows, he can listen to the fish and knows when they were going to bite and when they're done eating. I don't know how he does it, but when I show up, he's got some fish for me. But the chief and I have an awesome relationship. And, and, and one day, as I came to, the, came to the slum, I saw him limping. And I said, what's going on? He said, well, I was fishing and I hurt my leg. And then even his other leg was hurting as well from something that he had done in the village, in, in, in the slum community. And I said, can I pray for you? Now, his, he speaks Wolof, I speak French. My Wolof isn't quite good enough yet. So I bring a guy named Pop with me, good friend of mine. He's a Muslim. I, I call Pop, I say, hey, let's go to the slums. And uh, so we see, we see the chief and he's struggling. I say, can I pray for you? And he says, yes, I, yes, you can. I said, can I, I have to pray in Jesus' name. He said, that's fine. And so we're sitting in front of each other 
And the moment he says, you can pray for me, he pulls up his pant legs all the way up here, like way up here. I won't do that. I'll spare you. Um, but I'm not a touchy-feely guy when it comes to other guys. And he, I'm sitting in front of him, and he grabs my hands and put them, puts them all the way on his thighs. And I'm like, I have never prayed for someone on, with my hands on, on, your, on anybody's thighs. It's, it's awkward. And I start to pray, and Pup sits next to me. He's been translating for me. I never told him. I start praying, and he starts translating for me. I'm like, what's going on? And so I keep praying. But in my mind, I'm going, at the end, I'm going to be praying in Jesus' name. I wonder what Pop's going to do. Is Pop going to say in Jesus' name? So I'm praying. I'm praying my best prayer, of course. You know, I'm, I'm like, God, show your power, show your love, heal this guy instantly. And I'm just praying, praying, praying. And in my mind, I'm still going, what's Pop going to do? Get to the end of the prayer, and I say, in Jesus' name. And I'm like, what's he going to do? And Pop goes, in Jesus' name, in Wolof. And I'm going, how weird is this? My Muslim friend is praying in Jesus' name, and what he's saying actually is saying that Jesus is God. And I'm like, wow. Story keeps going. I was hoping for instant healing, right? Never happened. So the next time I came to the slum, just soon afterwards, I brought my teammate. And I, we walked in, and the chief is there. He comes towards us. And, and in, in Wolof culture, you always greet. And he pretty much didn't greet me, which was very rude to me. But he looks at my teammate and he goes, do you know what Sebi did? And I like, I had totally forgotten about everything. He goes, Sebi prayed and look. And he's like 67 years old. He should not be doing this. He starts going, jumping way up and down. And he says, Sebi prayed and God healed me. Things are happening in his heart. We've been able to work in the slums, passing out um, masks, um, passing out some school supplies, which that was a complete disaster. You'll have to ask me about that later. Um, you have things that work, things that don't. Um, awesome guy. This is the chief. Like He's got his hands on us. He's a really touchy-feely guy. Loves us. Um, but I want to leave you with one more person, Amadou. Amadou is this awesome guy, little boy. As we work in the slums, Got a lot of kids. And the, one of the keys to getting out of poverty is education. You see, kids, they can go to school. And what happens is they go to school and they go to middle school and there's an exam. And there's also an exam at the end of their high school. But if they don't pass those exams, they're out of school. They're done. And if you can imagine in a slum community, if they've been going in the slums and they've been doing everything with their parents and they go to school and they don't pass that middle school exam, they're done. What's going to happen? They're going to do the exact same things their parents did and they're not gonna get out of the cycle of poverty. But the hope is that they can continue, continue through their education and graduate, hopefully maybe even go to college of some kind, and then help their family get them out of poverty. Okay? So we've gotten started, we started a program, a kids program, tutoring program for kids. Amadou is a kid that, he loves this program. He loves going after school to, to learn, to study. And he sits there, and as the teacher says, has a question, they all raise their hand, and they're all like this, very rude here, but they're all snapping their fingers because they want to answer the question. And when, once in a while, he goes, Amadou, come up. And Amadou walks up, blackboard, old school, gets his crayon, writes the answer, and is all proud because he got to answer the question. May not be correct, but that's okay. He's super proud. And then he gets to sit down, and he continues on 
We got 27 kids going into this thing last year, only had two months to work with them, 24 passed that exam. This year we've got 40 plus kids in the program with the McCabe's and uh, we're super excited. Um, we had a lady, we got all the kids from last year together to kind of promote of what might come this year. And one lady came to us and said, last year my daughter was in the program and the thing is, is in our family, she's the only educated person. Everything is riding on her. Imagine that. First kid to be educated. So education is going to be key for this group of people. God is doing amazing things. Last thought is this. The chief, when we first got there, he told me, he said, Sebi, I didn't trust you guys. You foreigners came in, we didn't trust you guys at all. Colonial, colonial stuff. A lot of anger, bitterness. He didn't trust us. He said, but you know what? You guys have come and you guys have done nothing but love us. He says, our government, my fellow Muslims, they walk by our, 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 our community here and they reject us, neglect us. They don't want to have anything to do with us. Any, anything, they just want to kick us out. He said, but you guys have come and loved us. Something is happening in his heart. He says, every time I call him, he says his heart grows cold. I'm like, what? But in Wolof, that means his heart grows warm and he can't wait for me to come and hang out with him. God is doing amazing things. I'm way over time. Let me pray. God, you are amazing in what you're doing. You are doing such awesome things in the people in Senegal. And these are the, just the tip of the iceberg of all the people. And I pray that as, as I've been sharing, may some of these names stick. And may we continue all pray that as I go back, as we go back as a family, as a team, as we're working with these people, God, these are all unfinished stories, but may God, may you bring us back in a few years and may we share all the finished stories of all the things that you have completed in their lives. God, continue to work in them and also in us. In Jesus' name, amen.